I'm Halima Atta, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Perspective. Happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome back to A Little Perspective. I am so excited to be back recording a solo episode because last week's was an interview, so if you didn't listen to it, you should definitely check it out because it was very insightful. Moving on, though, as we all know, it's currently the month of May, but while this month signifies spring, flowers, and the countdown to summer for the general population, it represents something very different for educators and students alike. Testing season. I'm sure that everyone listening is aware of this long, exhausting time period, and even though I myself am included in that group, I did not realize just how rapidly it was approaching, which happens every year, but my reaction always remains the same. So exams started around the end of April, at my school at least, with the commencement of Cambridge ACE exams. And since I got my Cambridge diploma last year, all of my recent efforts have been fixated around the dreaded advanced placement, or AP, exams. On that note, testing season is notorious for its inducement of stress, panic, and just overall feelings of anxiety within many students. And I'm no exception to this observation. I, like tons of my classmates, approach this period of time with panic. Panic, which is constituted by studying at late hours and last-minute cramming, with some breakdowns sprinkled in for some students. But this reflection on my observations of students' mental state during this annual exam season made me wonder, why does this panic exist at all? Why are students so anxious to take tests through programs that promise to foster a love of learning? Well, the answer is pretty simple. These scores matter. They're connected to our entrances into colleges and advanced programs, among others. And perhaps more importantly, these scores are believed to be connected to our level of intelligence, allowing schools to justify their reliance on it in the name of academic potential. But is it fair to base admissions into academic programs on these yearly examinations? More importantly, are standardized exams a good indicator of students' level of intelligence? To get an answer to those questions, some insight from real students surrounding them, and more, continue listening to learn all about it. When it comes to the topic of standardized exams in particular, it's very necessary to discuss the definition itself, because I think a large number of students tend to bunch every exam they've ever taken into the standardized test category without knowing that there are certain characteristics that they must have in order to be considered one. The ACSD organization defines standardized tests as any examination that's administered and scored in a predetermined standard manner. Essentially, any exam that is scheduled ahead of time and scored according to a pre-existing rubric can be considered a standardized exam, meaning that pop quiz you may have taken in your math class doesn't count. It's just a pop quiz. Additionally, it's important to note that there are a couple branches of standardized exams. Those include both achievement and aptitude-based tests. Achievement-based exams are basically a measure of how well students are able to retain information that is taught, that they learn. One of these could be really any regional end-of-year exam offered by schools in a given district or state. Good examples could include the FSA reading, writing, and math exams offered here in Florida. They measure a student's knowledge in reading comprehension, essay structure, and different mathematical situations, respectively. Each of these skills are taught to students through the specific courses they take throughout the school year, so they're achievement-based. On the other hand, Aptitude tests exist solely to measure how a student will perform in a particular educational setting. Converse to achievement tests, traditional classes don't cater to these, as they aren't meant to measure what students have learned or how effective a school was at teaching, but rather the academic potential of a given student. Probably the most well-known example of this one is the SAT. Generally speaking, the SAT doesn't have some kind of organized class based off of it that all students throughout the country are required to enroll in. 
Because of this, it doesn't quite meet the criteria to be considered an achievement test, as its sole purpose is to predict how well students who take it would perform in an educational setting like college. So standardized test scores are often utilized by admissions officers, school officials, on the basis of comparison, meaning they operate similar to something like class rank, for example. They're used to compare students to others to see how well they would perform in a certain institution with a certain level of academic rigor. A lot of high schools, mine included, will utilize students' test scores to either reject them from or admit them into certain advanced classes and programs. For example, my school offers the Cambridge Magnet Program, but in order to be admitted into the ACE Marine class that's offered, a certain FSA or end-of-course math exam score was needed, which in retrospect was kind of weird because ACE Marine didn't even use that much math, but that detail is besides the point right now. What is relevant is that as educational programs' reliance on standardized exam scores continues to increase, more and more students and educators are growing weary of these standardized exams' accuracy. And considering the history of these aptitude and achievement-based tests, these concerns are justified. In 1905, only five years after the initial formation of College Board, French psychologist Alfred Binet created the first IQ test. Believed to have the ability to measure one's intelligence, this test had a few quirks with the most notable one being that it was created to ensure that intellectually disabled children in Paris received an adequate education. Yes, you heard that completely right. The IQ test was originally designed to cater to little French kids. And although this test has obviously evolved since then, it's important to discuss its founding roots, because they reflect the basis of other tests which were created within that decade, one of which is the SAT. So when one considers this historical context, the concern that many people are acquiring over the accuracy of standardized exams is clearly justified. They're old, and reflect values related to intelligence which we, as a society, have simply outgrown. An element of inequity. One of the major flaws found within standardized exams is the fact that students' performance on them can be linked to instructional quality. Given that the SAT, for example, offers uniform questions to the entire student population within the entire country, it's impossible that every student taking it has had access to learning the same curriculum that is found on it, with the same level of quality. And that quality part that I just mentioned is the most important, by far. While something like geometry, for example, which can be observed on the SAT, is offered in nearly every American school, the quality of that class's instruction differs greatly throughout the country, which directly affects how certain students would perform on that portion of the SAT. Factors such as the economic class of students differs greatly between schools as well, and as the amount of funding for certain schools and educational programs is often dependent on the values of property surrounding it, students in lower class communities and neighborhoods are often put at an unfair disadvantage when it comes to prep. And this is a concept that I've touched on before, back in season one in the Flaws of the School System series, you should definitely listen to it. But this whole situation can be connected to inequity, which is always tied to racism throughout this country, at the very least. Because systemic racism is just that, it's systemic. Meaning that it affects people generationally, allowing people to not have the ability to gain generational wealth. Which is why a lot of people, primarily minorities, live in these these neighborhoods without the ability to gain wealth and invest in better quality education for their children and for their families. So when you consider the fact that the SAT is a, generally speaking, it can be considered both an achievement and an aptitude test, in my opinion, because while it doesn't touch on things that are specifically taught in a specific SAT class or course, it does include many principles that are taught throughout the course of one's general education, geometry, reading comprehension, writing if you choose to take the essay, etc. 
So again, when you consider the fact that so much of the SAT and standardized tests in general are heavily reliant on principles that are taught through a general education, like a school education, people that are in lower class communities are put at a disproportionate disadvantage because they have not had access to the quality of staff and educators that a lot of people at schools with a more dominant wealthy population have had. So as with most societal issues, racism, classism, all tie into this as well. But this isn't to say that just because somebody attends a better quality-wise academic program or school, they will automatically pass and get the top 99 percentile score in the SAT exam. They instead have access to tutors, advanced teachers, programs, prep courses to help them advance their studies and advance their scores, as opposed to people in lower class neighborhoods who typically don't have access to these paid programs. So this disparity within the scores of lower class people and higher class people can definitely be shown through the lack of accessibility to additional support, which includes paid tutors and SAT prep classes, which higher class students are able to afford. And while there's generally much discourse surrounding the potential inaccuracy of standardized exams, no one ever talks about, or very few people, should I say, ever discuss the effects, the implications of the existence of standardized exams. One of the most major ones includes the fostering of a toxic, competitive student environment, which worsens the mental and emotional well-being of students and alienates those who score lower than others, disregarding their potential for success. As I discussed before, a lot of these standardized test scores are utilized by admissions officers, high school officials, etc. on the basis of comparison, meaning students who perform better than others are generally viewed better by admissions officers, whereas people that perform on the lower end of the spectrum are viewed in a negative manner by both students and staff. Another thing that I briefly mentioned was class rank, and I believe that the effects of class rank and standardized test exam scores are very similar. They cause many people to view themselves as superior to and others to view themselves as inferior to other people, other students within their class, based off of their scores alone. And this criticism isn't meant to bash people that perform well on standardized tests. I perform well on standardized tests. But it's rather to say that people that fixate their entire personalities around their performance on these aptitude and achievement tests, they exist. And a lot of times they effectively alienate people who perform worse than them, which can happen for a variety of reasons, which include economic class and thus lack of accessibility to quality education. And the implications of such toxic, competitive environments that are posed by the existence of standardized test scores and standardized tests in themselves are evident in the fact that a 2019 study placed youth in high-achieving schools to their list of at-risk groups. So all of this talk about SATs, statewide exams, and other standardized tests begs the question, are they an accurate predictor of intelligence? Well, the answer isn't that simple. While some would be quick to say no, they're so inaccurate. Others would be just as quick to say yes, they are accurate. They're a great predictor of intelligence. Because the reality is that standardized exams work effectively in many cases. They allow those who score high to be viewed as intelligent, with guaranteed future success, and those who score on the lower end of the spectrum to be alienated. But a general issue presented by standardized exams definitely makes one side of this argument appear exponentially more convincing. And that is, the fact that these exams are relied on so heavily to the point where students will binge study, retaining very few of the concepts that they learn, which is quite the opposite of true intelligence. And this isn't just some assumption I've made. Based on information from a Brookings Institution study, 50-80% to of year-over-year test score improvements were temporary. 
if a certain exam requires students to cram so much that they forget all the information they studied, is it really an accurate predictor of intelligence? But the Brookings Institution isn't a human, meaning it's not a student that has experienced the dreaded testing season the same way that my peers and I have since elementary school. So to get some human, non-statistical insight on this issue, I decided to reach out to two of my classmates, one of which, Kai, has consistently performed well on all of their standardized exams, while the other, Joaquina, considers herself a relatively low scorer. To commence, do you often feel anxious regarding testing season? Joaquina responded, I do tend to get really anxious during testing season, especially this past year because I've been struggling in my classes with staying at home and lacking the motivation that I had last year and the years before that. Conversely, Kai responded, Regarding testing season, I don't necessarily get anxious over the content of the test. It's just reviewing in time for the test while other tests and responsibilities are going on. I also asked the question, do you think that standardized exams are an accurate predictor of intelligence? To which Joaquina responded, No, I do not think that they are an accurate predictor of intelligence because I think that it takes a bunch of different skills to be considered someone who's intelligent and also intelligence can mean different things to different people. For some people, yes, they really rely on those scores to believe in themselves and, you know, find that motivation to pursue certain career or certain dream. But for me specifically, it's not the best way to show my intelligence because I think I'm a very intelligent person just not when it comes to testing because I get terrible anxiety and I'm terrible with studying but I am a quick learner and I pick up on things very easily so I think it just depends. Kai responded, in some instances I think of standardized tests as accurate predictors of learning when the subject can be equally taught to everyone but when it's a more abstract concept I believe that standardized testing only makes learning harder for children. So I took two things away from those answers. The first, being from Joaquina's, was the impact of both COVID and anxiety on standardized test performance. The two are actually linked in this case, with corona, in a way, exacerbating the worry and panic felt by students during these exams. And while colleges have been relatively lenient about these concerns, as the pandemic has been difficult to navigate, test-optional admissions won't exist forever, which builds concern over the long-term effects of COVID on mental health and testing. Something I took away from Kai's response was the existence of abstract learning. When it comes to the definition of standardized exams, they're only intended to measure the black and white. If students can write with a specific essay structure or solve mathematical problems in a set way, which brings me to the basis of intelligence as a whole. The overarching issue of this entire topic isn't that standardized tests are exhausting or stressful or even just annoying. The root of the problem is the fact that most students and educators assimilate intelligence with good grades. A common rebuttal to the argument that standardized exams don't predict intelligence is, but people who score well on these exams typically get good grades, so they must be accurate. In reality, intelligence cannot be defined as a certain score range or a high grade in particular. According to Dayo Lee, Bloomberg Distinguished Professor at John Hopkins University, intelligence can be defined as the ability to solve complex problems or make decisions with outcomes benefiting the actor and has evolved in life forms to adapt to diverse environments for their survival and reproduction. I'm pretty sure when Dr. Lee had this in mind, he wasn't thinking about how you measure the circumference of a circle. Which brings me to my main opinion. Standardized tests and exams don't predict our intelligence as human beings because it's simply too complex. 
The entire basis of the definition of intelligence relates to how we perform in real-world environments. Questions on the SAT can only tell us so much about that. The majority of standardized exams today really have no way of predicting our future success in a real-world environment, which is the entire basis of intelligence. And Michelle Obama herself, a very successful woman, even stated that if her future was determined just by her performance on a standardized test, she wouldn't be where she was today. And I think that's a positive and very fitting note to end this episode on. Well, to wrap things up, we have reached the end of today's episode, so thank you so much for listening. Although I spent the majority of this episode trashing standardized exams, they still do exist. So to all of you taking them, I wish you good luck. And on another note, be sure to keep up with the show on Instagram at a little persp podcast, and make sure to visit the new official merchandise collection by clicking the link in the bio. 100% of the proceeds will be donated to the Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective, so be sure to check that out. With that being said, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next Thursday here on The Little Perspective. <laughs>